in these drawings, it made her overcome her trauma and she could start her life again anew. And of course we know now that she was deported and killed in the camps. But for her, maybe in that time, it was a very big relief that she finished the work. Hi, I'm Kate Brown, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News, where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. All around Europe, there are these small brass bricks inlaid into the ground before the front doors of apartment buildings and houses. These bricks are like a decentralized memorial. They're known as Stolpersteine, which means stumbling stones in German. And engraved on each one is a name. The name of a Jewish person, a gay person, someone who is Roma, or someone from the political opposition to the National Socialists. All of them, and there are tens of thousands, list just a fraction of the citizens persecuted or exterminated by the Nazis during World War II. At an apartment building in Berlin that stands at Wielandstrasse 15, you'll find the name of Charlotte Solomon on one of these stumbling stones. And as it says on the little brass brick, she was born here in 1917. She fled Germany to France in 39 and was interned at a French concentration camp in Drancy before being deported and murdered in Auschwitz in 1943. Between these devastating details, there is also a visionary young artist. And Charlotte Solomon actually created a hugely ambitious work of art called Life or Theater. It was made in just over a year while living in exile in France. And Life or Theater consists of more than a thousand individual gouache paintings, sectioned into three acts. It's an artwork that completely defies categorization. It's something like an autobiography, but also not quite. It's a play, but also not quite. There are characters that are just like her own family members and friends, but their names are slightly changed. There's music to accompany her vividly painted scenes, which tell the story of her coming of age as a young woman and an artist. The story depicts what played out on Wielandstrasse in Berlin, the death of her mother from suicide when Charlotte was just a little girl, the Nazis' rise to power, the experience of her family persecuted because they were Jewish, and later, the second suicide Charlotte had to experience, this time of her grandmother, while they lived together in exile in France. It even discusses a murder. But what it also captures is the birth of a brilliant young artist who finds a lifeline through making art. It's hard to neatly summarize everything that Life or Theatre really addresses, but as Charlotte put it herself, the piece is something crazy special. Not only is the work picturesque in the way it is painted and formally groundbreaking in its scale, Charlotte Solomon managed to achieve something deeply intimate, political, and personal, but also universal with this work. She gave it to a friend for safekeeping before she was taken to Auschwitz, and it survived the war and is now in the possession of the Jewish Historical Museum in Amsterdam. People do not seem to be aware of Charlotte Solomon as much as they should be, given the pioneering avant-garde nature of her artwork. And so on the occasion of an upcoming exhibition of life or theater at the prestigious Lenbach House in Munich, I'm very pleased to be joined by the show's curator, Irene Faber, who is also the curator of collections at the Jewish Historical Museum in Amsterdam and an expert on Charlotte's life and art. Hi, Irene. Thank you for joining me today. Nice to hear from you and hope that this will be informative for you. 
I'm so excited to speak with you about the triumphant and devastating life of Charlotte and her work and excited to have a true expert on both of these overlapping themes on the podcast today. So it's hard to know exactly where to begin with Charlotte's story, but maybe we can start with the practical details. What is this work, life, question mark, or theater, question mark? The work is a series of 769 paintings made by a young girl in her 20s. And she painted her life in gouache. It's a heavy kind of water paint. And she painted her life to overcome the sad story of her life and to find out what was truth and what was lie in her life. So you could say what is really life and what is theater. That's why the title is Life or Theater. It's a Gesamtkunstwerk. Can you explain a bit more about the form that it takes? Yeah, a Gesamtkunstwerk, because she put into that paintings remarks about what kind of music could be played. She painted it in a way like you could make an opera of it. And texts with it are almost a sort of libretto, you could say. And the paintings are in a sort of, in a way that you can make also a film of it. The scenes are following each other and are like a sort of storyboard. And it all looks like she wanted to make a total work of art with everything in it, texts, music, paintings themselves. This is really very big scale idea for a young girl. And she made it, I think, just in over a year, documenting more than two decades of her life and the context before it. Because this work is autobiographical, as you mentioned, I think a good place to start is really to look at her story, because this is her story. What kind of a setting was Charlotte born into? What kind of a family was she raised within? It was a well-to-do Jewish family in Berlin. Her father was a surgeon. Her mother was a nurse, but stopped working when she married. Her mother had a history in her family of suicides, which was not known to Charlotte. She was a young girl when her mother committed suicide. She was nine years old. And her father was left alone with her. He remarried. He married Paula Levy, but she called herself Lindbergh because... Lindbergh was better to sell her work. It was more easy for her not to have a Jewish name. She was a very nice stepmother to Charlotte. And Charlotte went to the gymnasium. That's a high school. Yeah, or a sort of classical high school. But she didn't finish it. She had to leave because Hitler was coming to Germany. And she decided to go to the art academy. She was admitted there, even though she was Jewish. They had to take a certain percentage of Jews at that school. She didn't finish, though. Jews were not treated very nice there. She did this in '38, so the atmosphere in Germany was not very nice for Jewish in that time. After the Kristallnacht in '38, they decided to send her to her grandmother and grandfather in the south of France. There, Charlotte came to hear from her grandfather the real truth about 
the family. To just dwell on that for a moment, because yes, as you mentioned, already before even leaving Berlin, so much has happened in her life. She has witnessed the rise of Nazi Germany. All these people around her are starting to panic and try to figure out whether they're leaving or they're coming or they're going. And here is this little girl who's just nine years old or a little bit older by the time the Nazis come into power, just trying to process all of this, surrounded by people, but largely alone. It's no small wonder, even with those events in particular, that she would have started to paint this story. There's even a panel of her mother's suicide, because of course she made this work at the end after she kind of had figured all this out. There is a panel in the paintings of Charlotte trying to wait for her mother to come to her bedside. And it says, she rose 10 times a night to see if the angelic traces had arrived at the window, but she is very disappointed. So she kind of speaks in the third person about this little girl who's waiting for her mother to come. It's so visceral and so beautiful the way that she brings life and power to these really traumatic events. Do you know why she became interested in art? Was it the death of her mother? No, she was drawing before that. She was a very shy girl, indeed a lonely girl, very observant, very quiet, and not very communicative. She had a governess in her youth to get something out of her. This governess said to her, maybe it's nice to go and paint or to draw. And after some time, she got more confidence about her talent. And this was during the high school. And this made her decide that she could go to the art school. And also because she met the singing therapist of her stepmother, this therapist called Volson, but in the play of Charlotte, he's called Dabalon. He was called Dabalon because he didn't have any money. He was out of any possibility to have work because the Jews couldn't have normal work. They could work for other Jews, but not in a normal way, uh, having a job anywhere. So he was doing the singing works together with Paula Salomon. So he came in their house to play piano with Paula and uh, she was singing and they were practicing. And uh, Charlotte met him and he believed in her talent. And that also motivated her to work more with the art and to put everything in the art. Uh, there was a sort of relationship between them, we think, as well as a relationship between Paula and Wolfson. So a lot of possibilities of hearts broken, you could say, in that house. Mm. And he was her big motivator. And he had his own theories about people who have a trauma and who had to overcome it and what they had to do with it and how they could do that. He had learned that to himself in the trenches in the First World War. And he had to bring all the people out of the war range to the hospital. And he could hear all their voices and all their shoutings and all their pain. And he had himself made a sort of working method to overcome their traumas. 
he was, had a very big influence on Charlotte and that's why she painted him and his theories in a very big part of her paintings. The main part of her work is uh, filled with the theories of uh, Volson. His face is depicted in over 400 of the paintings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally clear how much of an influence he was and it makes so much sense as you say that he had gone through so much trauma himself and had found a way to like enjoy life again and that was just the lifeline of a message that someone like Charlotte needed as a young person in Germany but then needed even more when she actually started making this work in France and I want to get to it later but of course this ends with a letter to him yeah. but we'll speak mm -hmm. about that in a bit I want to get in a bit more to the Nazis coming into power and what this really meant, because there's a lot of panels in this work, Life or Theater, that just show her packing up her apartment. It's probably, for me, one of the most heartbreaking parts. Maybe it's also because I live in Berlin and I know the street that she was living on, but you see her kind of letting go, saying goodbye to her father, and there's this song that she wanted to play alongside these particular paintings. The lyrics are, I must leave here, of this German folk song. But Let's maybe rest on the pogrom of November 9th, 1938, because that was really when everything changed, right? Can you speak about what happened to her, her family and her father immediately after that? Her father was put out, out of the hospital. He couldn't work anymore. And he was immediately taken to Sachsenhausen, to the camp. And Paula did a lot of work to get him out, and she succeeded. It was a broken man when he came out, and this made them decide that they had to flee. And with them, a lot of other friends, people of the family, they all had to decide whether they were fleeing or whether they would stay because they didn't believe it was that hard to uh, overcome. That's why they decided in December '38 to send Charlotte to the south of France. And they decided, Paula and Albert, to stay there a little and to flee somewhere else or maybe also to the south of France. But by the time they wanted to go, it was already almost too late. They could flee with uh, false passports and they went to the Netherlands where they went into hiding. They had friends here where they could hide. It must have been a difficult decision to send her off on her own. I mean, wasn't she only yeah. 21 or, or even younger? Yes, she was very young, 21. When she leaves with the train, it's a very stressful scene. But you can see how she painted it, that at the moment when Dabalon comes to the station, that the painting becomes light again. It was first very dark. And he comes into the group of people who are waving her goodbye. And then the world becomes lighter for her. Her painting becomes lighter. Mm. So you can understand that it's also a very big difference between Berlin and the south of France in her paintings. Suddenly all the colors come back and the yellows and the reds. And it becomes more colorful. Maybe she didn't realize that Berlin was very stressful at the time for her. And she saw that the south of France, the Côte d'Azur, was so much good for her. It was so 
open and free and colorful for her, mm. she decided to break her work also in two parts, the one part in Berlin and the other part in France, because there's a very big difference in color and atmosphere. The only thing was she had to live together with her grandparents and she could live okay with her grandmother, but the grandfather was a very stiff man, very old-fashioned when the days were good for people who were well-to-do. And they took it for granted that they were living with this American lady. They thought it was their privilege to live there. And Charlotte couldn't stand that. She thought, well, this lady, Ottilie Moore, is so very nice to us. She takes us in her house, she feeds us. So they have to be more grateful to her. And they weren't. And Charlotte had very rough times with this fact. Mm. That's why she thought after the suicide of grandmother, she thought, well, we have to leave here because it's better to live together in another place, not very far from uh, the place where the villa is. Mm. Right. I mean, she strikes me as someone who had a very strong sense of integrity yes. because that's what would have informed that decision. There's a, a panel that depicts the suicide of her grandmother, which Charlotte tried to stop, obviously, as, as anyone would. And it is almost the exact same composition as the death of her mother. They had both fallen out of a window, and in both of the panels of these paintings, they're in almost the same position, and they look like these sort of dead swans. I mean, it is just so devastating. But then there is this realization in another panel where she says, I will live for them all. So yes. as you said, her grandfather tells her about all these suicides in her family. And he sounds like, yeah, not a nice person. And then Charlotte says, I'm going to live for them all. And I'm going to break this chain of devastation. Of course, there was something else that was going on. She was sort of stuck with her grandfather. And this became very difficult. How does this sort of evolve into the ends of the specific panels and life? All these paintings suddenly, after the death of her grandmother, they become very hastily painted and it's all very sketchy and at that moment she thought oh I'm going to be crazy I'm going to be mad and I don't want to be that I have to overcome this terrible truth and she thought of Dabalon of Walson of his theories she was able to incorporate very well what these theories were she listened very well to him and this made her trying to put the trauma theory of Wolfson on her own life and trying to be all these persons and depicting them and trying to be in their minds and in this way reconstruct the things that had happened in the family so that the story becomes more clear to her. She didn't see her mother who was fallen out of the window, but she could imagine it, and this helped her to overcome this big loss for her. Oh, 
So the theater ends, so to speak, and then this letter begins in the sort of series of work, right? She starts writing this letter, and it's, as you said, kind of quickly written, and it's to Wolfson, to Dauberlon. The last panel of the work, as far as was known until recently, ends with a sentence that is incomplete. It says, I have to go back to, and it stops. What has emerged, and you know, what I know you and your colleagues have brought forth, is that pages of this hugely important work of art were removed and censored. There's a part of the letter taken out. What is in that part of the letter and who removed it? In 79, Paula Lindbergh gave all these paintings to the Jewish Museum. But before that, they got it in 1947 out of the south of France. They went to the south of France to meet Miss Ottilie Moore, who returned from the USA, and she gave them this big package of paintings. And they took it with them, and they tried to find out what Charlotte had painted, and they thought it is a sort of memory of Charlotte, of course, and they made very big leather boxes, very luxury boxes to put it in. And... Several exhibitions were made, and also a book was made with interviews of the people who have met Charlotte in the south of France and who could tell of her. This book was a very small book with several pages in it. Not every page of the paintings was put in this book, as later on would happen. So in 71, it came to the museum and there were plans to make a film of it and also to make a big book with all the 769 pages. And Paula left out some of these pages, a part of this letter to Dabalon. But these pages were seen by the people who made the film, and also who made the translations from the German to the Dutch. And they wrote it down, just because as part of the work, like they wrote all the text down. And when it was given in 71 to the museum, certain pages were missing. And the director knew that, but didn't know what was on that pages. And the people who worked on it, they promised to don't tell anybody what's on that pages. There were nine, nine pages. But they had the text. And after the death of Paula, she became 102 years old. After the, her death, they decided to open it. But it was uh, heavy for them to do that because, well, you've promised something 
But you think uh, in the name of the science, of the art history, you need to be open for that. And they could mm, tell about that in a film. So Frans Weiss, who had this text at home, he thought, well, after the museum has asked him to make a sort of documentary film about the work of Charlotte Salomon after the war, what happened to it and how it was received. And he decided to make a film of the letter. This letter was written to Darberlone, Wolfson, and Charlotte wrote to him that times were rough and she was having so much support of his theory and she was thinking a lot of him and she told him what kind of things were happened. And one of these things that happened was that she gave an omelette with Veronal, which was a poison, to her grandfather. He was 82 years old then, something in the 80s. Well, in her situation, you can understand that she could do that to him. She was depressed. He didn't help her a lot. He was only asking for help, but she couldn't help him. She had to help herself. She told in this letter that she used this poison to bring his life to an end. But it's so strange that all the facts you think she painted about her life in Leben oder Theater, that maybe these facts are not true and you don't know what is real life and what is theater. I mean, to say that she is a murderer is very difficult to say and still not very easy to do research on. It's impossible. So we still don't know whether this is true or not. Right. This revelation causes a different reading of some of the earlier panels in the book. Yes. One could call it a book as well, in a way, because it is a story, but obviously this total work of art. There are panels in which she writes a little bit more about her grandfather. And of course, I think we should all sit with what you said, which is, it's hard to know. There's not a lot of fact-checking able to be done. But she says that her grandfather symbolizes someone worse, that she had to resist more so than Hitler. She says that she would rather spend 10 nights on a train car on the way to a concentration camp than to be alone with him for one night. She says she doesn't want to share a bed with him, which has to happen at some point because of the lack of amenities that they have. How do you interpret these comments now? It's very difficult to interpret it. We know so little about the situation. You can only imagine what happened to her. And we don't know what really was the discussion between them. And we don't know what was meant by the remark of grandfather, so please join me in the bed. We really don't know. And it's difficult to interpret it. Maybe that's something that stays in the, I don't know, in the shadow of the story. Mm-hmm. It's important, of course, not to jump to conclusions about something you can't be sure about, but it does open up a door to even that there was possibly more suffering that Charlotte had to endure, and we don't know what spectrum that was on. 
Why do you think that Paula decided to remove this part? It was obviously meant to be a work that was seen altogether by Daberlon or maybe her entire family. So why did she take this away? She'd never talked about it. The director of the time thought that she would give the missing pages after a death to us, but they were never found. So we assume she burned them or something. Paula always talked about Charlotte in a very sweet way. It was really her daughter. She was a stepmother, but she felt really like a real mother to her. I think maybe she didn't want to have this kind of stigma on her daughter. She didn't want her to be a murderer. And maybe she wanted to protect the memory of Charlotte. Hmm. The letter ends, but of course, Charlotte's life doesn't end, at least immediately. Can you summarize what happens after the panels of Life or Theater end? Charlotte finished it in the summer of 43, and she married Alexander Nagler, who was a refugee originally from Romania. He came via Austria to the south of France and lived there, also in this villa. And in the end, they were living, the two of them, alone there. All the children were gone, and she was, I think, two months pregnant then. She married him in June, 43. But already in April, 43, the Germans thought to deport them and were aware that they were living there in the villa. And they were caught in the villa in September 43. And Charlotte was five months pregnant then. And they were deported. And almost immediately, Charlotte was killed in October in Auschwitz, immediately when she came there. And Alexander Nagler, he uh, suffers and he dies from this suffering in January 44. So after she finished the paintings, she brought all these paintings to Dr. Moridis in the village. And she said to him, can you keep it? It's all my life. At least we think that she said these words to him. So she had already the feeling that she had to safeguard these paintings in another place. But also I think that doing that, the way was open for her to live a new life. She could start her life all over. That's also the therapy of Wolfson, which is in these drawings. It made her overcome her trauma and she could start her life again anew. And of course, we now know that she was deported and killed in the camps. But for her, maybe in that time, it was a very big relief that she finished the work and she could bring it to Dr. Maurice. And also, I think that the marriage was a certain feeling that her life was taking a new direction. 
it's a tragedy beyond words, of course, to finish a work like that and to be ready to start a new chapter and to have, as we can sort of understand from what we see, what is apparent is she's healed and ready to move on. And then this is just snuffed out in the most cruel way. It's just beyond words, really. What strikes me so much about her is how this work is so vital and brave formalistically as well. The story in and of itself is so poignant, but also I think it's important to remember that this is a woman as well who was working in a patriarchal art world of some sort, and it doesn't fit into the categories that exist really. Can you speak a bit about life or theater from an art historical perspective? Where do we place this work? That's very hard. <laughs> There's almost no identical sort of work of art like this. It's not an autobiography painted. It's a semi-autobiographical. The concept is so very mature that it's hard to believe that this is a young woman painting it. I don't think that you can find somewhere else in the world some kind of work like this. Mm. You can't compare it with anything. Of course, you can see that she has seen a lot of art in her life. She went to Rome. She has seen modern art. You can see clearly uh, Edvard Munch painting about it. So this kind of style she can reproduce, but it's always in her own style. She makes sort of decisions at the start, like to paint only with red and blue and yellow. She made all the colors with that and also she put some white to it, but she didn't use black. And I'm always afraid that I'm putting too much stress on that because maybe there were no other colors because of the situation of the war. So maybe some decisions of this artwork are not really decisions, but caused by necessity of the time of the war and the situation she's in. She also decided to say to her, okay, I have to be on my own for a while. I have to come to myself for a while. And she stays in a hotel very close to the villa. And she stays there alone without her grandfather and is all by herself and has only the paintings. And she sings all the time and she paints and she paints for one and a half year. And maybe this kind of strenuous work is also the reason for this very unique kind of work. Mm. There's something, of course, diaristic about it. And that's why I believe that some people have drawn comparisons between the diary of Anne Frank and Charlotte Solomon, which doesn't totally sit at all. I wonder what you think of this comparison, but also, is it true that her parents actually knew Otto Frank and Frank's father? Yes, they knew each other after the war, and Otto Frank was really working very hard to put the diary of his daughter to bring it to the public. He gave them the advice to publish, 
it's really not the same like Anna Frank. Anna wrote her diary maybe aiming to be a famous writer, as she wrote. But Charlotte really wasn't aiming on being a very famous painter. But painting was her only medium she could work in. And Anna Frank is really writing down what's happening all the time, the things which really were facts. And Charlotte is looking back to her life and trying to reconstruct the facts. So in that way, it's uh, not really a registration like Anna mm -hmm. has made. But of course, you think both people in a sort of hiding place, they are making a work of art. I think Charlotte, it is in the context of the war, but it's the personal family drama which made her paint. It's not because she had to do something because she was in the war. No, it's the family drama which caused the making of this work. For Anna, it was really uh, something to work on while being in hiding in a very small place. Right. To wrap up, although it's never complete this conversation about Charlotte Salomon. No. The Jewish Historical Museum has this incredible work of art in their collection, and you uh, tour it while keeping it together. What's next on the tour? We're speaking, of course, because there's a show opening at the Lemba House in Munich. Can you speak a bit about that and about what's coming up next for this incredible work of art? Well, we had a very big exhibition in our museum in 2017, which was uh, 100 years of Charlotte Salomon, her birthday. And we will be having our own exhibition about Charlotte and the influence of the films made in Germany in that time. Because she was influenced very much by the films which were published then in Germany. She went very often to the cinema. And we're going to have that in our museum next year. It's an exhibition which is uh, postponed. We're doing it again. And after that, it's going to be shown, I hope, in France somewhere. I can't say where already. And in future, it's going to Sao Paulo in Brazil. And, well, I hope, of course, so many museums, they want to show it. I feel extremely grateful that I am going to be able to travel to Munich to see a part of this piece next month. There's also the films made, of course, of the Coulin sisters in France. And it's going to be in the program also in Munich. And then there is also another film made this last year by Julia Rosenberg, kind of sort of cartoons. So it's also very nice to see them. Yes, powerful that Charlotte's legacy can live on. Yes, that's what we work for. We try to give her a place in art history. She so deserves it. Well, thank you, Irene. It's been a real pleasure to have you on The Art Angle today. Thank you. It was a pleasure for me as well. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Carolyn Goldstein, and Tim Schneider. Thank you for listening and see you next week.